Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. It's another Bisexual Brunch with Nikki Hodgson, Louis Oakley and Ashley Byrne. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, we would be living in a totally different format. We as journalists and activists have always found it very difficult to find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. Just don't think there are enough bi perspectives on bi issues. I feel like we've got to talk about it because we're really comfortable doing that. It can be really intimidating. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. I've always found myself at the mercy of gay and straight advice. You can have a bit of competition to see who's the better bisexual bruncher. This is Bisexual Brunch. So, Bisexual Brunch. And and you know what? It sounds very natural, as it normally does, you know, in terms of us all getting together to discuss all things bisexual. But this has been happening about, well... Three, four, five, six, ten, no, no not, that, not that many. But it's been a struggle getting Nikki here this week, hasn't it, Nick, Nikki? For some reason, she's, <laughs> she's had problems with this, that and the other. And um, I don't know, it's mainly down to, the, down to the internet, isn't it, mainly? Is that right? Well, it is. Should I name and shame the company? I yeah, don't go on. Name and shame yeah, them. Richard Branson, Virgin Media. I know you think that you're the dog's bo- bollocks, but actually the service is shit where I live in East London. And it's gone down so many times that I've been tethering to my phone. Every time I've tried to connect with my beloved Ash and Lewis, it's scuppered me. They've been waiting. It's Friday night now and poor Lewis needs to go to bath and bed. And he's still hanging around waiting for me to fucking log on. Yeah, I am (laughs) swearing now. I don't care. We did actually... We did, actually, we did actually think about doing, we, we, we came up with an idea because I, when he mentioned he was going to go in the bath and I was tired, I'd fallen asleep. I thought to myself, oh, actually, that's quite nice. Maybe we should go. So maybe one one week we should do it all from the bath. Bisexuals in the bath, maybe. That'd be good. We should do bi's in the bath. Oh, my God. Separate baths, obviously. <laughs> of, course, of course, of course, of course. So um, one thing we ought to mention is um, that we're actually now officially award winning. Because the company that makes Ta-da! Bisexual Brunch, Made in Manchester, <laughs> won Production Company of the Year Silver Award at the Audio Production Awards a couple of weeks ago, which Nikki and I attended. It was a good night, wasn't it, Nikki? Um, I don't remember time. how I got home. I got home in a very expensive taxi. And then when I looked at my phone the next morning and saw what I'd paid for it, I was like, oh, yeah, you were pretty drunk last night. Oh, really? I Did also you? ran up to, I, I ran up to Jeremy Vine after we'd presented an award. I was like, Jeremy! And we had this... He knows me, but we had this chat and then he went at the end because I was obviously drunk and just carrying on. He said to me, well, that was my one conversation of the evening, so I need to go now. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I'm, I wasted Jeremy Vine's one conversation on the evening, of the evening talking about, I don't know what the fuck I talked about, but anyway. But no, it was, it was I looked quite glamorous, I didn't actually have a good dress on. You look very glamorous in your red dress, absolutely. <laughs> and it was, it, was a great, it was a great night. Pity Lewis, you couldn't be there, but we, you know, it's nice for... Obviously, it was the whole company that was recognised, but Bisexual Brunch was definitely part of it because the bid that we put in mentioned all the various things that we've done, new things we've done recently. So we can officially call ourselves award-winning. But straight after that, Nikki, you went off on a a nice winter's holiday, didn't you, to Poland? Well, well, straight after that, I was incredibly unwell 
and um, without knowing it, I had COVID. And then I did a, a I did some lateral flow tests that came back negative. Went to Poland and basically had COVID and wasn't very well at all on holiday. So it was meant to be a jolly winter holiday, going to the Christmas markets. Became this sombre, sick-filled, sick fest. And then I came back and immediately Boris Johnson had changed the law and said, you have to do a PCR test. And then me and my husband's PCR test said that we were positive for COVID. So now we've had to isolate for 10 days. So it's not been the best of times, I'll be honest. And I couldn't even get on the internet to but you, soothe but, my ailment. But I, did, but I did spot, you've got a tree, I think now, haven't you? Is that all right? And I've got a glorious six-foot Christmas tree that is fully decked in birds, houses, peacocks. It's all pink and blue because that's the colours that me and my husband like. The dog keeps trying to eat it, but, you know, it'll be all right. It's not toxic, so it's fine. Are you COVID-free, Lewis, and are you ready for Christmas? Yeah, I am COVID-free, actually, because uh, we've had a, a nightmare here with COVID as well, which has just been a bit of a nightmare because my step was, stepson was supposed to go for an operation, and before you go for an operation, you have to do um, the, P- the PCR test. PCR tests came back positive, despite the fact that he's doing backflips around the house and acting completely normal. But obviously that meant, you know, the, the thing was cancelled and then 10 days of isolation. So it has been a bit of a nightmare. But I mean, we're all, I mean, he's tested, like, literally, so we lateral flowed him after he had the positive PCR. And he, he was just negative. And he's, we've all been negative ever since. So it is one of those things where you're just like, you despair. And then obviously Boris Johnson's bringing in all the, all the new... Legislary, I just despair at the whole thing, to be honest. I can't, I can't um, even watch the news anymore. I've started watching Lorraine in the morning. It's much more chill. So I actually, I was like, right, I mean, this is probably terrible. I was like, I'm going to do my bit to end the pandemic by not clicking on COVID stories. Yeah, as soon as the media work out, then we go back to just the plain science rather than just the hype. If the media are like, oh, no one's clicking on our COVID stories anymore. We'll like, do maybe something we should else. Just, like, yeah, we'll go on something else. I, I honestly think that would be a part of it. I know people probably think, oh, you're an idiot. But I think that at least it would take the hype out of it and we could get back to proper science and what is actually going to work and where how where are we really? Um, so that was my thing. But I mean, I just this week I've been dragged back into it because Downing Street's just... You couldn't make it up. You honestly, it you rivals make it Theresa up. May's time. We better not. We better not talk too much about it because, of course, it'll date the the, the podcast a little bit because uh, people listen to us at all sorts of different times. But it's suffice to say, I've just, I've just, I've not. I've actually not watched the news bulletin for about. A Isn't mo- it a the month, best thing ever, though? Ash? Yeah, it like, is. Just fantastic. stop watching yeah. it, and you feel so much more relaxed about things. It's like, yeah. yes, shit's happening. You find it out anyway because people talk to you or yeah. you see it on social media, but you don't bombard yourself like I was getting up every morning and the first thing I was doing was absorbing the news and it puts you in the worst frame of mind for the day so I've just stopped Lorraine and her sparkly outfits and her gay guests are much more entertaining on the morning yeah, and, and there's also you know you find I this, think a the, lot of people are doing that yeah it's yeah. interesting that you two are doing it though because you two like you're dropping <laughs> yours Nikki you go on to review the papers you're like I can't <laughs> look at them give me the gist <laughs> I'm going on GB News next week and I thought right from Monday I'll look at the news but I'll just have a couple more days where I don't have to pay any attention to it but there's so many other things on you, know, you put the tv on there are great comedies there's lots of things you don't yeah. know about you know what i mean and I, I know obviously i know you're a big fan of, of gogglebox so you'll find stuff out through gogglebox oh anyway, i do you love gogglebox so, that's yeah. true it's my <laughs> anyway let's let's get talking about about bisexuality because we although we might be trying to avoid the news we're not avoiding bisexual news <laughs> and, and where we can obviously um we like to remind you uh on our twitter page about different things that are happening 
And I reminded everybody, or, or not so much reminded, sort of alerted people to an article that uh, Julie Birchall had written for Spiked um, a few weeks ago, in which um, she said, bisexual pride is just plain silly. If bisexuals are a persecuted minority, then I'm a rainbow-coloured cupcake, is what she said. And uh, if, you, if you read the article... It's fairly tongue-in-cheek. She's being... I mean, I know you know Julie, don't you, uh, Nikki? Uh, she's being fairly tongue-in-cheek. She's being fairly... You know, there's elements of elements of seriousness in it, I think, but also I think there's a little bit of comedy as well. Um, that's the way I read it anyway. But we alerted everyone to this, and, my God, the response on, um, on, on Twitter was outrage. People were outraged about it. And yeah, Twitter I, blew up about it. It did. I just wonder... What we think about that, um, because I was quite surprised in a way, because I, I just read it as being a bit tongue-in-cheek. Now, I know everyone's probably going to have a go at me now and say, you know, that it's, it's you know, internalised biphobia or whatever. But I just didn't think she was really being that serious. Uh, but obviously, people thought she was, was being serious. What, what's your take on it, Nikki? It's quite complicated, because I do know Julie a little bit. Uh, I am friends with her on Facebook, so I see her tirades on a regular basis. She wouldn't mind me saying that because she's kind of famous for them and they are extremely amusing. She's yeah. a very, very funny person. And um, even when she's absolutely going for someone and it's totally unfair, you can't help but laugh. Um, it's an interesting one because, you know, Julie famously left one husband because she had an affair with this journalist called Charlotte Raven in the 90s. Was it the 90s? It was the 90s, wasn't it? Um, so, you know, she... She probably is technically bisexual, although I don't know if she calls herself that. So I found it all the more interesting because of her quite public sexual history. I suppose Julie is quite non no nonsense from what I know about her. So she's very much like, unless someone has got a gun against your neck, you don't have a problem. That's kind of how she sees life, I think, more or less. But things have changed. You know, younger people are more sensitive to what we call microaggressions and, you know, um, adversary at work. And I, I just think maybe actually for younger people, things have moved on. And the stuff that Julie is probably quite stoic to tolerate, other generations just aren't prepared to. What do you think, Lewis? What's your take on it? So it was one of those obviously very provocative headline. And as someone who's written articles and had people put provocative headlines on them, I, I was kind of like instantly angry. Then I was like, oh, hold on. You never know. Give it a read. Um, and then I was giving it a read and I was like, oh, my God. Um, I think this is the thing about our podcast, about us as people. I think we're quite fair. So she doesn't think her bisexuality or, or bisexuality is a big deal. So I'm reading this as though she is bisexual, right? I'm not reading it as though she's straight. So I'm reading this about she's bisexual and she thinks that, you know, basically what we do and talking about bisexuality and having, you know, needing a bisexual pride is like embarrassing and, and it's not that big of a deal as a bisexual person. And I would just say she's completely entitled to her opinion. Like, I, I can't be... I, what, what am I supposed to say? Like, no... You've got to suffer as a bisexual person. You've got to feel persecuted and feel unhappy and though the world's against you. No, she doesn't feel like that. She doesn't feel that she wants to put any effort into helping other bisexuals that are maybe not in the position she is. And that's up to her. It's, you know, I don't hate her for it. It's, I disagree. I don't think that that's the way things are. But if she's happy in her bisexuality and doesn't think it's a big infringement on her life, then that's fine. Yeah. She, this is what she says in the article. She says... I'm pleased I was born a tiny bit bisexual, but to be proud of it would be as weird as being proud to be born with two feet. 
So make of that what you will. Um, mm. Well, I think she's a cupcake. <laughs> I think she's um, a cupcake too. She's in denial about cupcake nature. <laughs> but but I think I think there's there's two things here. One, there is an element of truth in what she says in the sense that there are people out there who are maybe middle class, fairly wealthy, whatever, have lived lives where their sexuality hasn't been a big issue and they've just got on with it and it's no big deal. And and what you were saying, Nikki, earlier on, there are people who've been through that that, that period and uh, of life in a particular vein and have managed to get through it and whatever. Um, and I've come across other big name people, actually, who, who've said that, you know, I don't want to go on about my bisexuality because as far as I'm concerned, bisexuals haven't suffered in the way that gay people have suffered. Um, now, that's a partic- that's one particular view. But I think what we're proving through Bisexual Brunch is actually, you know, that the suffering is a lot more subtle and a lot more long term in many ways than I think anybody's ever realised. Because, you know, I got into a conversation with somebody on um, Twitter who was trying to say that, um, we, we, you know, when we go on about bisexual people um, in the period of uh, HIV and AIDS, um, the reason we don't get to know about it in terms of people don't write about it, people don't, you know, put it in films or what what kind of thing, is because nobody actually complained. Nobody, there, were, there were so few people talking about it kind of thing, as though it wasn't there. It didn't exist because people weren't talking about it. But we all know that part of the problem the issue of being bisexual is that it's erased or it's invisible. Not not always erased or invisible be- intentionally. Sometimes it's because people just don't talk about it because they, they don't understand it themselves. It's not talked about generally. They can't get a conversation going about it. Some people who've who've who've, who've become fans of Bisexual Brunch have literally realised they're bisexual from listening to Bisexual Brunch. So... Then they find out and they work out, actually, I've had 30-odd years of my life that hasn't been me. You know, I've not been able to be me. So it's it's much subtler. It's different. It's not as direct, maybe, as homophobia, biphobia. Um, so do you know what I mean? It's, it's a, there's, a, there's a difference. And maybe people like Julie need to start to learn, understand that this is the world that, you know, has been hidden. Because there are people writing to us, not just people in their... 60s, 70s, even 80s, occasionally. But we have got people. We have we have had quite a few recently young young men in their early 20s who are struggling. Um, so it's, so this notion that everything's fine, everything's all okay, everyone's happy to talk about being LGBT and everything else in between, and it's not a problem. And younger people are you know open about this, that, and the other. Um, it's not necessarily true. People are people are struggling. So you know, I think there's truth. I think I think you can in a way. It's that she's reflecting her world, but actually, for a lot of other people, it's a completely different world. And I don't think really we've got to a point where, by any well, again, bisexual brunch is probably the only place we have these conversations. Let's face it, it's probably the only place that anybody talks about it. But I was shocked at the response, and I, you know, I wasn't, um, we didn't respond to it, we just wanted to get people's opinions. And obviously, there are a lot of um, a lot of people feel very strongly about it, but it, it, I did find the the, the response quite um, quite shocking in the sense that I, I thought people would be a lot more sort of um, I thought they would have made, made fun of, fun of it, but wouldn't actually have taken it so, so seriously. But you know, there's some pretty pretty serious comments on that. You know, um, I mean, yeah, it'd be, it'd be, I think, it'd be I... nice to get Julie on, wouldn't it, and chat to her about it, really. 
It'd be lovely to her, but she doesn't do any interviews. Like, they they keep offering for her to go on Celebrity Big Brother at, at the cost of £100,000, and she always refuses. So it's like, if she's not going to do that, she's not going to do our show. But just, you know, I watch on Facebook what she's prepared really? to do. Oh, my God, she's always talking about it. It's, like, the funniest thing ever. Crazy I need to, like, Google this woman. <laughs> she's very funny. But um, I suppose the thing that I would say, Ash, is, you know, we talk a lot about intersectionality, the idea that, we're all a bundle of privileges and some of yes. you are more privileged than others. Yeah, yeah. And I know that that gets some people's backs up just even the word privilege and I always seen as, you know, oh, what are you talking about? But there is, I think there's something in that. And that, you know, Julie is a very renowned journalist. She's written for a living since she was 18. She's got loads of money. She says that herself. She's a very generous person, actually. She gives loads of charity, but she's got loads of money. She volunteers because she um, is able to volunteer. And uh, she writes when she feels like it. She doesn't have to write to pay the mortgage. And uh, she's well known. She's very well respected. You know, people love to commission her. So that is not really a place, you know, when she met Charlotte Raven in the 90s, it was a very kind of public relationship. And, you know, it was very media friendly. They're not the normal criteria for most people coming out as bisexual. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, that, that's that's very, very, very true. I didn't know her before this. Like, she's just some woman that wrote this article, but now Luke oh, is, like, gosh, selling no, her to me. It's like, oh. She is a cultural icon. She's got this really distinctive way of speaking, this kind of, like, squeaky Cindy doll voice with a West Country accent. Her dad was a big communist, and she she's just a character. Like, there's no other way of putting it. She's just a full-blown character, and she's extremely talented. Her writing is so, so funny. I'm definitely going to try and find a clip of her on YouTube. Oh, do you'll love it? She's she's not what you're going to expect at all. Her voice is just something else as well. But it leads on to something else that was said um, online, actually on Twitter. Um, we had somebody contacting bisexual brunch and sort of having a real go at bisexual. Somebody, somebody, I think who does this a lot with a lot of bisexual websites and bisexual Twitter feeds and various things, and they were making the point and. I have to acknowledge that there's some truth in this, that there will have been people around um, who are bisexual who will have been prejudiced against people who are gay. And, and, you know, I know we don't talk about that often. We talk about it the other way around. We talk about biphobia and people being people not understanding bisexuality. And uh, that's legitimate. We we need to say that because that's a big issue. But I just want to, on record, just acknowledge that yes, we know there are people in every walk of life, in every one of those, you know, the, those acronym, in the acronym LGBT, whatever, who will at some point, possibly some of them, will have been um, will have been prejudiced in some way, shape, or form. But this person was trying to say, like you were talking about the privilege side of things, that there is an element of privilege that comes from being bisexual, especially if you're in a situation whereby you can pass as being straight or whatever it may be. And um, so, you know, do you, do you know where I'm coming from? Does that, does that make sense? I, you know, this person was going on about it, it was trolling us a bit, to be honest. But I just think there are there will be people out there, particularly in elements of the gay community, who might think that, or they may have felt at some point in the past, that people they knew who were bisexual were being prejudiced or whatever. It may be that they were, you know, it was internalised homophobia or biphobia or whatever. Um, but it does exist, doesn't it? That kind of thing does exist. There are people out there that are like that. You know, I don't consider myself to ever been like that. But there will be people out there that have been like that at some point. Liz, do you want to There's a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I am one of those people that has an issue with the word privilege. I wrote a whole article about it. So as uh, I, I do feel like this whole, oh, bisexuals have got privilege 
you know, so you'll lower down the pecking order of things we need to focus the LGBTs movement on, I think is something that's actually always held us back. I don't think we're privileged. I think we just have different unique problems, the same as lesbians have different problems than gay than gay men. Um, so I, I, I reject the privilege element of it. Um, as far as can bisexuals be homophobic? Sure. I'm sure homophobic things have come out of bisexuals' mouth. I don't think there's anything intrinsically homophobic in the bi community because it's not even really a bi community. But I, I, I guess um, there's elements. Um, it's obviously not as highly documented as all the biphobia that's experienced in LGBT groups because we've got so much research on that, don't we? But um, yeah, I mean, sure. That, I guess that's the point from whoever that person was on Twitter. I mean, like, just isn't it the case that in my experience, all marginalised groups tend to dislike another marginalised group. And it doesn't make mm. sense because actually if you're all in the sink together, you should all be supporting each other. But that's just not how it works, whether it's about race, gender, anything. So, yeah, of course, I know, of course, you know, we've often talked about bi erasure and how, uh, especially in kind of stories that are maybe dominated by gay characters, bi characters fall to the wayside. Well, is that the fault of the gay people involved in the production of those stories? Probably not, but it's easy to see why a prejudice might arise as a result of that. So, yeah, and, and later on, we're actually going to be learning a bit more about this. We're going to be hearing from Terry Kirby, who's done some research, which we were hoping to talk about a few weeks ago, actually, uh, into the attitudes uh, of straight people and lesbian and gay people to um, bisexual people. So uh, we'll be hearing about how, you know, how prevalent uh, biphobia is. So we're going to continue continue this um, throughout, throughout, uh, throughout the show. But um, one of the things that I think was important to acknowledge in the last couple of weeks and I think we should do it a lot more actually um, is to remind people on World AIDS Day that there were a lot of people who were bisexual who were who suffered a lot during the HIV and AIDS crisis um, and aren't talked about very much and we've had this discussion before that they've not appeared in you know, in It's a Sin and films and various things like that. It's not, that's not mentioned. And I think it's really important to remember it because bisexual people were the butt of a lot of horrible articles in newspapers and magazines during the early 80s around this whole notion that, you know, the idea that the bisexual community had spread uh, HIV around the world and all the rest of it. And I think we forget that. And I think we should, every year, I think we should remind people of that. And hopefully at some point, you know, get to speak to some of the people who were, around at the time we did hear a little bit from Robin Oakes a little while ago about that of course because she was coming out around the same time of as, as um, the HIV AIDS in the early 80s but I think we do forget that and uh, and I think it's worth um, w- worth mentioning that you know and, and, it, and it carries on today doesn't it because you do get people talking about bisexuality being this spreader of diseases or whatever it may be it's something that carries on as a it prevails doesn't it as a myth that's there when people are you know trying to have a go at uh, bisexuality kind of thing and I think we should remind people of that but um but yeah no you're absolutely right uh, Nikki um it, it's yeah I mean you go <laughs> I mean if you if you you know if one of the things the baptism of fire I found when I first went on the on the LGBT scene uh, in in Manchester was to realize that 
not everybody is cuddly and loving and wants to look after you and on a night out or whatever it may be. And there are certain bars you can go into and uh, you don't fit in at all and everyone hates you because you don't look a particular way. <laughs> so, um, you know, and uh, you know that's in the the gay male side of things. I'm sh- I'm sure it's exactly the same on the on the on the on the on the female side of things. You know, if you if you don't fit in, you're not one of us. Um, and it, it's it's ridiculous, really, isn't it? Because that leads to a lot more isolation, of course, doesn't it? Um, in in our yeah, lives. Yeah, of course. I remember when I first tried to go to like girl bars in London, of which there were very few, maybe ten years ago, anyway. And I think it was Q Bar. Lewis, have you ever been there? Q Bar. Q Bar. Q Bar in Soho. You know where I mean, don't you? Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, that, yeah. That's that tends to be mixed, right? So it's gay guys and gay women. So I was like, oh, well, mm. if it's mixed, then it'll be fine to be buying there. And oh my gosh, no, it was not 10 years ago. It might be different now. But it it was just such an officious environment. I felt like a duck out of water. You know, I thought I had a nice outfit on. It was obvious that I was dressed in the wrong way. Everybody was giving me dirty looks. And I just thought, oh, come on, guys, just give it a break. Yeah, it's really, it's really odd. I've been there too, as in like, not that particular that particular bar of that experience, but definitely in Soho, which you would obviously think, well, this is just, it doesn't get any better and freer and liberal than this. And it's like, no, 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 it's liberal for certain people. And I've definitely experienced biphobia in a lot of those venues. Um, And people have really, and I've spoken about this, like, um, in the years after, like, in in the work I've been doing, and people get really angry about me talking about it. Like, oh, oh gosh, yes. What was said to you? Yeah. Oh, d- d- you know, are you sure you didn't mishear them? It's like, oh my God, what are you talking about? What you said before about, um, you know, pe- minorities or people that have been downtrodden being horrible to other minorities. That is so true. And I don't think we talk about that enough. And I think it's something to do with human psyche of like, well, they might look down on me, but if I look down on these people, then at least we know where I am Completely. in the Completely. I'm a bit like better a- than them. I- Absolutely. It's like a distancing thing. You align yourselves with the power. Like I absolutely know it happens all the time. I know why people do it. And also I think people do it unconsciously. I think people gravitate towards senses of powers when they feel vulnerable. It takes a lot of strength to move towards the vulnerable people and away from the the so-called powerful people in any kind Mm. of environment. And I think humans are sort of divided into the people that will move towards the power centre and then the people that will support the vulnerable ones. Because you can't really do both. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Now, one of the things we're always looking out for on Bisexual Brunch, uh, in addition to us three talking about bisexuality constantly, is is other people who are in, who are in positions of influence of some kind actually saying the right things around bisexuality. And I think we should um, send out a special mention, really, to um, Zoe Ball's son, Woody, um, who has been all over the press the last couple of weeks, basically you know, having a go at the fact that he's in a... Uh, a straight-facing relationship and people are basically people are saying it's fake and you know he's bisexual his bisexuality is fake and he's not not it's not real and all the rest of it and he so he's been he's been saying quite a bit in the press about this and also revealing that you know like a lot of people are bisexual he had difficulties with his parents at the, at the beginning you know in terms of them understanding it not just not getting it not understanding what bisexuality was you know so it's good to hear him sort of speaking up for you know bisexuals everywhere because I think that's what you know that that if you look at the forums and things uh, on Facebook and various other places, this is the constant issue that people have um, is is the, where they come out as bisexual and they're but they're they're often being battered and bullied in a subtle way, but you know no no less um, you know hurtful way. 
by family and friends who were trying to basically question uh, their sexuality. And they often got no way of actually proving otherwise. Um, yes, they could prove otherwise by saying, this is how I feel. I fancy men and women or fancy all genders or whatever it may be. But for some people, unless they suddenly see you <laughs> in, in some kind of orgy with you know, a man and a woman and or different people of different genders all at the same time, they will not be convinced of your bisexuality. And it, it's really, really hard to get over that, that issue. So a lot of people, you'll read a lot of articles where people literally just give up. They give up and decide, actually, you know what? I'm in a relationship. I'm a woman in a relationship with another woman. I'm, I'm going to say I'm gay at the moment. Um, or I'm in a relationship with, a, you know, with somebody of the opposite sex. I'm straight. You know, and they just do it for ease, really, more than anything. Um, so it's good that Woody's actually spoken out about that. And, uh, of course, you'll probably, well, you'll know, we all, I mean, a lot of people know of him anyway, but he's a regular on Celebrity Gogglebox, isn't he, if I remember rightly, with, with Zoe? Nikki's favourite. He, he is, he's my favourite, because he, he, he was in The Circle, and he was amazing in that. He was an absolute sweetheart. And he is really good friends with somebody called Ella Mayer that I used to work with in another business. So I sort of have met him through other people. But the one thing I'd say about his sort of coming out story is that it's powerful because, you know, his dad, Norman Cook, Fat Boy Slim, obviously not somebody who's kind of lived a, a sheltered life. He's been a DJ for how, however many eons. Zoe Ball, the same. You know, they're obviously liberal media people that would completely understand and yet they were like, well, you're not, we don't get it. And he made an interesting point. He said that when he was trying to explain to his mum that bisexual people exist, he sort of said, we've got a load of family friends that are bisexual, you just don't know it. And I thought that was really interesting to say because it, then it, that really made her rethink what she had, you know, just presumed about people that bi is the step on the road to gay. That's what she said to him. And that's the, that's the big thing, isn't it? You know, we, we, we keep saying it on every single show, don't we, that there are loads of people out there that we know... that we probably know very well who are bisexual just haven't haven't come out yeah. yet which is which is why i keep i keep saying this thing about having a, a bisexual amnesty and i was thinking the other day it, it, you've got to be it's very it's very difficult to the way that would work but i did think about when i was look when i was thinking about the hiv aids period of course during hiv aids you had a you had um aids buddies uh, which were people who were there to sort of so people could go and, and sit and talk to some because obviously there was a lot of prejudice around AIDS and HIV and you use the word buddy and I'm just wondering whether there's anything in bi buddies whether there's anything where we could find a way of getting people in families or in communities or whatever it may be who 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 are quite liberal and open minded who could be open for people of people coming to them to just express the fact that they've been bisexual at some stage in their lives or that it's something that they want to talk about or whatever. Because I think the problem we have is that there's very few opportunities for people who've got all this bottled up inside them to actually even communicate to anybody. Do you know what I mean? It's just, how do you do it? Where? How do you bring it up? How do you, how do you well, have that conversation? You know what I mean? What I'd love to do is like either a secret bi-postman exercise where people all send a letter to their bi-souls and then like we put, and they're all anonymous, but then we put all the anonymous letters somewhere so you can just see how many people are actually yeah, bisexual. Yeah, yeah. Or like a bi-wall. So people again, like do a little heart, write, write a message about themselves. Again, keep it anonymous. But you just see all these people come out in a way that is protective to them, but gets across the sense that actually there's so many more people than we think and create a sense of community. That's yeah, what I would love yeah. to do. Create create a place where people could co come out without feeling 
vulnerable. Because one of the big problems in all of this, constantly, and we're constantly, we come back to this argument of us, this thing, I'm sorry, of us, of us trying to get more traction and talking about it, whatever. And often you get from organisations, well, where's the proof? Where's the, where's the statistics? Where's the this? Where's the that? Where's the other? And if you've not got any of that, it's very difficult to actually get over the fact that this is actually, potentially, underneath it all, a, a huge issue, which people just haven't even begun to tackle yet. You know what I mean? It's just, it's quite scary. Now, this brings us to um, another example of um, bi-erasure, whether it was intentional or not intentional. I don't think it was intentional, but it was still embarrassing. And this was this thing with Google, Lewis. Tell us about that. Wait, can I circle back to Zoe Ball then? Come on, oh, Google. yeah, if you want I've to. Yeah, so yeah, much yeah, passion yeah, to do. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> Go on, do it, do it. But can I... I actually think the Zoe Ball thing is really interesting and possibly, like, more fundamental of an example than we're giving it credit for. There are so many different bisexuals scattered around the world, and unfortunately it does circle on this kind of liberal, London, middle-class gatekeepers when it comes to media, of which Zoe Ball is, is there. She's right in the middle of it. She's not a bad person. She's probably as liberal as they come, has been around gay people and for as, as long as she can probably remember, but herself struggling with the concept of bisexuality. I think it perfectly sums up why we have had so much resistance. The second we go to media, like, you know, people are bisexual. It's like, what? Where's that? What? I don't get it. I think that, that it, the example that um, Woody's given there is literally what we run into mostly. It's not this, oh, I'm going to lock you in the cupboard stuff. But it's like, I'm just going to subtly say, like, I don't get it. You're going to have to work to prove that this is valid. Um, and it is that, and, you know, you've got to think the Zoe Ball type, they are the gatekeepers to the mainstream media. And this is what we're up against constantly. So there, there's different problems. But I think when it comes to gate gatekeeper to the media, I think it's really interesting that someone like Zoe Ball is now on record of being like, yeah, I didn't really get it. She's not a bad person. But that's that's kind of what it's about, really, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Anyway, I just think it's really it's, interesting. No, no it's, it's, very, it's, it's very interesting. I agree. And I just think it's good that somebody who's, you know, who's relatively well-known um, has actually managed to have a, you know, say something about bisexuality in the sense of not just a case of coming out kind of thing, but actually said a little bit about what it what it's like in, in reality. Because often you don't get... You don't get that traction at all, you know. Um, or people come but out as bisexual and don't be- talk about it at all. Go on, Liz. But also perplexing, right? Because this is this is the thing, and I'm never I'm never sure whether it's a good or a negative thing. So with someone like a Zoe Ball, right? She's obviously not going to purposely say the wrong thing. So this is the thing where I I see the jump. So someone like Zoe Ball, I would imagine she would be fine with saying that there's more than two genders. I'm sure she would be fine with saying that but we'd still have an issue with someone that would date more than one gender. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, you okay, but you've got the concept that there's more than two genders. How could you not understand that someone could want to date like more than one gender? That doesn't make any sense to me. But then here's the difference. Like, I feel like some people have the fear of like, oh, I just don't want to get involved in that. So I won't say anything. But with bisexuality, it's like, oh no, I can bash them. It's fine. But it's something... I, I just don't get the, the double moral sometimes of like, well, how do you rational this in your head? I don't understand. I think a lot of it's to do with, I think there's an internal thing that people think that bisexuality is somehow um, a choice in a way. It's a, it's a lifestyle right. thing. I think historically a lot of people think that being bisexual is something about lifestyle. I don't know why, but I think there's an element of that, that it's a trend. It's something that people go through 
you know, they want to have fun and they're younger or whatever it may be. And that it's somehow, again, it comes down to the word sex again. But I do think there's an element of that. But you're absolutely right. You know, you know, the whole issue of non-binary and things is 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 become recognised, doesn't it? People, you know, people are now badgered for not acknowledging it. You know what I mean? Whereas when it comes to bisexuality, it's not the same, is it? It just doesn't, you know, just does not get the same kind of traction in the same way, which is. Uh, which, which, which is it's bizarre. just interesting how these liberal minds work, which is why I'm like, you know, we, we can get it from all sides, from everywhere, from gays, from straights, from liberals, from the left, from the right. So it's like, that's why I think bisexuals are just a bit like, oh, we well, just have to run our own well, race. Well, they're, they're, anyway. they're obviously not true liberals, are they? I think, I think we're the true liberals, bisexuals, because we're, we're, we're open to everything. So, yeah, tell us about um, well, the go. situation with Google. Google. Then, Lewis. Go on. Right, so Google. Um, so this was a story about a week or two ago now. So Google basically put together this list of LGBT words. I, I believe they could call it a dictionary or a glossary, whatever. Um, and it was basically, it was this LGBT glossary, and it was about, um, I think what they tried to do was kind of track how certain LGBT words have changed meaning over time. So, you know, so say, for example, queer used to be something that was a negative word used to bully us, but now it's been reclaimed. So they, they tried to do all that. I mean, from my perspective, this was a very tokenistic, like, aren't we good people? Look at us knowing LGBT words, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they had this exclusive list, which was literally like, there was stuff in there like top, bottom. I think there was like Yas Queen, um, not a single word of bisexual. <laughs> Just no bisexual in there. So obviously a bisexual person like myself looks at it. It's like, how have you got all of these like random LGBT terms that means nothing? Um, I, you know, that, that you've got gay in there, lesbian in there. I think they had about 10 different words for trans. No, bisexual not in there. Not even pansexual as well. So uh, just not mentioned. So it's one of those things where I think most people are like, well... Yeah, you know, you've kind of fallen... I think most people are like, oh, well, you've fallen on your face there, Google. Like, you know, you were trying to, like, be... What's the term they use now? Like, um, virtue signally. Um, and, you, and you forgot one. But I actually... And I know that people might think that, oh, you're being too conspiratorial here and you're thinking too much in it. I actually do think that there is a bit of an issue with big tech and bisexuality. Now, I say this because... Um, a few years ago, it's about three years ago now, Twitter kind of like um, shadow banned the word bisexual. So if you were hashtagging bisexual, it wouldn't be seen. So a lot of the bisexual conversations, it's like you couldn't really have a conversation about bisexuality and discovery. Everything that was bisexual, bisexual in nature became undiscoverable. And I think at the time, Twitter kind of, they, they took ages to fix it, but they basically said it was, oh, it's because it got pulled into a porn filter or something like that. And it's like, well, that's ridiculous. Because if I put, you would never say, oh, the word gay, sorry, it, the porn filter got it. It's like, I, I put in gay, not gay porn. So I've ne I didn't understand that. And now here we are again, where we've got Google that doesn't recognize the word bisexual. And it is one of those things that, look, we live in a tech world. If Silicon Valley want to de, you know, devalue the word bisexual, it, it, it does have a knock-on effect because it affects the SEO. It affects the people that click on it. It affects the... The, the people that would buy bisexual stuff. Like, it is one of those things where it's like, don't underestimate the... Pa I, I know this is like, th these are two instances and it's like, oh, Lewis, stop putting one and one together and getting five. But there is something that we do have to keep an eye on where it's like, if big tech decides no, bisexuality is not a thing, we are done for. 
I, because the world Lewis, is online. I, Lewis, I could not agree more. You know, because I work for a dating app, so it's a constant struggle for us to promote the, the app on social media. And TikTok mm. has shadow banders. Uh, Twitter, we struggle with. Instagram, there's certain things we can't say. And all we're doing is talking about human nature. And yet there are yeah. so many instances in which we can't do that. And because everything to do with sexuality is seen as perverted, dirty, X-rated, pornographic. And this is because big tech can't be bothered to subtly tune out or tune in between gen- genuine expressions of human sexuality versus exploitative porn. And it's like there's so many people in the world that want to make that distinction for you that will help you figure it out. And instead they just do a blanket ban on it because they can't be bothered And I just find it so infuriating. They are holding back feminism. They're holding back LGBTQI rights. They're holding back equality because they can't be bothered to distinguish. Well, hey, guys, check your privilege. Check your privilege. (laughs) You know, know, is it really going to hurt you? You know, (laughs) I'm I'm playing devil's advocate here. But um, <laughs> you're obviously very privileged bisexuals, according to some people, of course. Yeah, we've got. Well, we just got too there, much there privilege. There, I was a bit worried. I was a bit worried to go on the records and like call out big tech. And no, was just like, no oh come my, on, here's my no. hammer. I'm always, I'm always that big tech. I'd love to get in a room with old Marky and sort him out about Facebook. Well, we've certainly tackled a few issues on this edition of Bisexual Brunch so far. And later, of course, we'll have our Ask a Bisexual feature where Nikki, Lewis and I will try and answer one of your questions. We'll try and advise you or probably just confuse you. (laughs) That's coming up a bit later. Before that, we've our bisexual journey story, this time from Ed in Barcelona. And next, we'll be hearing about a study which suggests bi-erasia is rife among gay and lesbian people. We'll be speaking to Terry Kirby from the University of Exeter, who carried out some of the research. That's to come in just a moment. You're listening to the Bisexual Brunch Podcast. Do you want a cup of tea? I'll have half a cup. And that caught on. Yeah, that became a kind of catchphrase, I think. It was the hilarious film of 1999. It wasn't anything to do with race or religion or creed or colour. It was as simple as an art student who thinks he's all free and easy and thinking that that's going to be okay. East is East by Ayub Khan Din broke new ground by portraying a relationship between a British woman and her Asian husband. And as a new version of the story comes back to the stage in Birmingham, why not remind yourself of the movie classic with Distinct Nostalgia's special trilogy of star interviews. Oh, frig off and wash your bastard curtains, you dirty cow. And I swear to God, that's one of the best lines I've ever had to say in my life. But the film had a serious side too, tackling both racism and domestic violence. I threw myself and put all my physical strength into trying to stop him, and I couldn't. In Helsinki, they were saying, I can't believe you've made this film. It's incredible because it's showing what life is like for us now. A series of special interviews with Linda Bassett, Leslie Nickel and Chris Bisson. It was a great script and it was a timely thing to tell because it hadn't been told before. They've done all sorts of incredible things to transport you back in time to give you an authentic feel of what it was like. This series of special interviews is available now at distinctnostalgia.com. Distinct drama. Fresh and original. 
coming to Distinct Nostalgia this Christmas, a trilogy of comedy dramas by Carl Chetty, starting with Soft Centres. When I think of how I've wasted my life here. Starring Sir Derek Jacobi as Frankie. Placing handmade soft centres and nut clusters into poncy dwarf coffins is hardly an achievement. And Joanna Lumley as Millicent. Oh, Frankie's well past this game. He's been here 30-odd years. He'll be carried out in a box. <laughs> it's probably a gold chockey box with red bows and ribbons. And the story continues in Hard Centres. Well, I'm supposed to be retired, you know, but I'm back in the basement in my own little chockey grotto. <laughs> Starring Sir Derek Jacobi as Frankie and Imelda Staunton as Millicent. I hear liking you hat, sis. I'll slap you in a minute, you cheeky <laughs> run. You know it is, my hat's my hair. Sebastian, just done it. Incidentally... Yes, and what's that dirty look for? Your senorita's gone, but not forgotten. My senorita... What did you do to her? Show her your erogenous zone. And we conclude with Dark Centres, starring Sir Derek Jacobi as Frankie and June Brown as Millicent. Is there something going on between you two? Chant to be a fine thing, but I'm working on it. <laughs> Helen Lederer as Mrs Hamilton. So he's given someone a box of hard centres instead of soft centres. So what? That's what dentists are for. And Christopher Ryan as Mr Hamilton. Things are already at half cock. My tinnitus is getting worse, plus I can't sprint for a taxi anymore without wheezing and drawing on my inhaler. So that's soft centres, hard centres and dark centres by Carl Chetty. Available this Christmas only on Distinct Nostalgia, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. Terry, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Can you give us a bit of background for this? Because I know this is quite complex in a way. Give us a bit of background as to how this particular study and research came about. So bisexuality is something that hasn't been studied so much in the research literature and psychology until kind of recently. Um, what was out there, a lot of it was sort of focused on things like physiological measures of sexual arousal and things like that. So we've been sort of interested in just understanding both bisexuality itself and how bisexual people see their identities, but also in these particular studies, we wanted to understand perceptions of bisexuals a little bit better because, you know, just in pop culture, you can see that there are a lot of stereotypes about bisexuality and kind of questioning the existence of bisexuality. So what we wanted to look at is just how people perceive the attraction patterns of people who say that they're bisexual. And also if we can try to understand why we see some of the patterns and who shows like do for example do gay and lesbian individuals show the same perceptions of bisexuals as straight people now i have suspicions as to what you've actually found i'm bisexual and i've experienced people's attitudes over a long period of time both straight people and lesbian and gay people and i know there's a lot of misunderstandings as to what being bisexual means and um I guess that's what you've discovered, isn't it? Yeah, so we, we found sort of what we're expecting, but not completely. Essentially, I'll tell you just a little bit more about what we did as well before I tell you the results. So, so we had participants basically read a dating profile of someone who says that they're bisexual. And then the only thing that we varied across participants was the gender of the person who is bisexual. So we just changed the image to be, you know, Sam who is a man or Sam who is a woman. 
But we weren't actually expecting to see gender differences. What we thought we were going to see was that um, people would have a tendency to have a bias where they think that women are more likely to be attracted to people who are opposite sex relative to same sex, even though this person is saying they're bisexual, right? And we thought the opposite would happen for men, so they'd be more likely to think um, that men are actually perhaps closeted and gay and not quite willing to come out as gay yet because those are a lot of the stereotypes that we hear about bisexuality. So we thought that's what we'd see in the attraction patterns, but instead what we saw actually seemed more consistent with the idea that they buy into female bisexuality. They didn't say that the woman had a preference for opposite sex or same sex, um, either romantic relationships or in their attraction patterns. For men, though, they did sort of show evidence of the stereotype that we see in society where they thought actually the man was more likely to be more attracted to men relative to women. But we only saw it for attraction, not for romantic relationships, which was kind of interesting. Yeah, and I suppose in a way, I think I suspected some of what you're saying there because there's obviously a lot more coverage, a lot more talk about women being bisexual. We know some straight men fetishize over bisexual women, don't they? So it's out there a lot more. It's talked about a lot more. So with bisexual men, they don't tend to be as open. So it's not known about or talked about as much. Um, so I suppose in a way, I expected some of that. Did you get any detail as to why people think these things? Where do these myths come from? What's it about? Well, it, it's a good question because it's exactly why we wanted to do the research because we also weren't so surprised to see some type of kind of erasure or kind of doubting people's levels of attraction. But because of the pattern we originally predicted, we were actually speculating that there's something about androcentrism that might be driving the results. So androcentrism is the idea that in our society, we actually prioritize maleness and masculinity more than we prioritize femaleness and femininity. And you can see this all around you, right? All the ways that um, sort of um, masculine qualities tend to be valued, but sort of more feminine communal qualities tend to be devalued. So we thought that this sort of tendency to center masculinity might be part of why people in a weird way might prior always prioritize men. So they say, oh, the women are actually more attracted to men um, and the men are more attracted to men as well. But since that wasn't the ultimate pattern we saw, that of course means that androcentrism couldn't really explain the results. But we also thought, you know, there might be something just to do with just a general idea that bisexual men are more confused than bisexual women, but we weren't really finding evidence for that either. One possibility is that there isn't some sort of underlying why to tap into. It's just merely a stereotype that people hold, and then that drives their perceptions of attraction. But I also think there could be an underlying why we haven't gotten at before so far. So, I mean, one thing is that there's this idea with people who do re gender research about precarious masculinity. So that's the idea that it's easier to lose your manhood than it is to lose your womanhood. There could be something going on that's interacting with gender and sexual orientation, for example, where it's sort of easier to lose your heterosexuality for a man than it is for a woman. And so they just always get put into these really narrow boxes. You must either be gay or you must be straight in a way that women don't. They're given a little bit more wiggle room with their sexual orientation. Have no evidence for that. It's just something that I've been sort of speculating about and hopefully we'll do some research on that. So what were the differences in terms of how lesbian and gay people compared to straight people saw bisexual people? Was it very similar? Were the attitudes the same? Because I think a lot of people who are maybe on the outside 
looking in on this would assume, wouldn't they, that lesbian and gay people will be a lot more tolerant, a lot more understanding and knowledgeable of bisexuality. But that really isn't the case, is it? Yeah, exactly. So I'm also bisexual myself. So I can tell you sort of personally that my experience has not been that, you know, um, it's always so clear cut in the LGBTQ community that, you know, a bisexual identity is automatically accepted and not sort of just confusing to people. Um, And the data panned out, it it suggested exactly what you're saying, that straight people versus lesbian and gay people weren't really showing a difference. They were showing this exact sort of gendered pattern um, with um, by showing that with bisexual men, they thought they were more likely to actually be attracted, more attracted to men. Um, and I think that does fit a lot of what you see in sort of the counseling psychology literature, which talks a lot about um, how bisexuals have worse mental, ho- mental health outcomes even than lesbian and gay people. And they talk about how that might just be to do with the fact that they're getting, they're being stigmatized on multiple fronts. So it's not just that, you know, they're being stigmatized by the straight community or straight people. I don't know if there's really a straight community. Um, That's just the dominant group. But also from the LGBTQ community, there's not the same level of acceptance that you might expect if you're outside of that community. Yeah, it's quite scary, isn't it? One of the things we've experienced since starting Bisexual Brunch is people, a lot of people, in fact, contacting us to say that they that only by listening to the podcast have they realised that they're actually bisexual. They've not even heard much about it in certain parts of the world. And I think there's a perception, certainly in the Western world and the Western media, that the B in LGBT has been done, really. We don't need to talk about it. We don't need to discuss these issues because everyone's pretty liberal-minded about it, all these things. Uh, But, you know, from the communication we get, there are lots of people of every age group from their early 20s right through to the 60s and 70s. There's people in the 60s and 70s, for example, who've spent decades keeping their bisexuality hidden from their partners whether they're straight or gay. And and then at the other end, there's 20-something struggling with coming to terms with, uh, with it and being open about it. And um, you can't dismiss this, can you, really? Um, and the impact it must have had on people day-to-day and their mental health. It's a bit of a time bomb, really, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I think just the numbers tell you something, you know, bisexual people are also just, they come out at a much later age than other people. I didn't come out myself till I was 29, which is sort of much higher than what's average for um, gay and lesbian people. And, you know, I think that just tells you something about, you know, either just you know, as an identity being sort of a little bit harder to wrap your head around and understand it for yourself, maybe partially because you're not seeing as many people or people aren't talking as much about it, which then doesn't give you the opportunity to resonate with that and then realize, oh, actually, I'm bisexual. Um, There have been people who I've known and then, you know, years later, they've mentioned that they were bisexual and they weren't, it wasn't something they had been unwilling to talk about. It just hadn't really come up. But I think that sort of I don't know, highlights the issue that you're dealing with. You kind of almost don't have coming out role models in the same way sometimes. Yeah. And, and what do you think needs to be done then? Obviously, we're doing our best with Bisexual Brunch. There are organisations that are trying to put the word out and there's a lot happening under the radar. But it feels to me that there should be much more above the radar, really, to get people talking properly about bisexuality. I feel as though we need bi buddies or something. Uh, <laughs> we need people out there who are willing to just accept that the world isn't black and white and, you know, if they want to come to somebody and say, I'm bi-curious or whatever, they can talk about it. I feel as if we need to open up a bit more. Uh, that's something for us as communicators to think about, of course. But in terms of your side of things as researchers, 
you know, there's been very little research on any of this, and, and, and that actually sometimes stands in the way of coverage of bisexuality, because I find that when we put ideas forward, say, to broadcasters, they say, where's the evidence? Where's the research? And you often can't actually point to it because there hasn't been any research done. You know, it's a hunch more than anything. So where do you think the research needs to be done and how easy do you think that is going to be? You know, it's surprisingly not difficult because, um, I mean, it's tough. If you want to sort of go out to the community and actually talk to people in person, that's a little bit more difficult. Um, But there are a lot of sort of... In my field, a lot of people do online research and there are really big limitations to doing that. But at the same time, there are positives, right? Because on one of, so there's a, a website called Prolific where you can recruit participants pretty easily. You just pay them to participate in your research. There are huge numbers of bisexual participants on that website, way more than gay and lesbian individuals. And what I think is really good about that is because then you can actually tap into people who are bisexual, but maybe they don't have a strong LGBTQ identity. So if you go to some sort of, you know, try to recruit participants in person through some LGBTQ center, you're going to get people who are already feeling pretty engaged, right? But if you want to understand people who maybe they do identify as bisexual, but they don't have as strong of an identity and try to understand why they don't have as strong of an identity or what makes them feel more or less comfortable disclosing, um, I think it actually works really well for that. And I, I think that's one of the really important things is because when there is research on sexual minorities, it's often a lot of groups kind of clustered together. And I think looking at you know groups like bisexual, pansexual, queer people, that needs to be done in a more nuanced way to understand, okay, you know, what sort of language, what sort of environment do you have to create to make bisexual people feel comfortable talking about this? Because if they're not comfortable talking about it, that has negative downstream consequences for, you know, the next generation of bisexual people who don't have someone to sort of look up to. Um, And I also think that there might be really interesting differences about comfort coming out to gay and lesbian people or other members of the community versus straight people and how to talk about that. and yeah, we just do need people who are just willing to shout about it. Um, but I think there's there's a lot of pushback. I think perhaps especially when bisexual people talk about it. I mean, I've heard people say things like, um, oh, that person really talks about being bisexual a lot. And it's like, well, maybe they talk about it a lot because it's not talked about enough. Um, and they just want you to remember, hey, I'm bisexual. That's important to me. Um, and just helping people understand, well, it's not just... Sexual orientation or identity isn't just about something you do in your bedroom necessarily, but even so, that's fine to talk about a little bit too, right? But it's also something that's an, an identity that's meaningful for people. It's, it's, it goes way beyond that, and I think that's also something people don't always understand. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of talk these days about all sorts of things, pansexuality and fluidity, and now we hear people talking about non-binary choices. It's not sexuality, of course, but gender. But people get that confused with bisexuality. Um, Is the talk about all these different things doing the cause of bisexuality any good in the terms of people actually understanding what bisexuality is? Or is it just confusing the public even more? Yeah, I mean... I mean, I think people's identities are their identities um, to some extent. And I, you know, I feel like the public is making progress. I think, you know, since there have been sort of, you know, prominent celebrities who are coming out as trans, for example, you know, I think the public is starting to understand a little bit better. I mean, I, I think relatively rapidly. I think there's still tons of bias and work to be done. Um, but I think 
think the public can get on board. I just think, um, I mean, I will say that I often think that I'm probably actually more like pansexual, but I just choose to identify as bisexual because I feel like the public is not, they still need a lot of education about bisexuality. So for strategic reasons, I kind of just choose to go with bisexuality because I don't really mind either label. Um, I don't know. I think we just sort of have to respect people's identities. And, and I think that people will eventually get on board with it. I think the same thing, you know, happened in the 80s with sort of gay men, lesbian women, and just sort of trying to get the public on board with understanding, no, this isn't a choice. And I think we just always go through these patterns of social justice movements and trying to get people on board with understanding people's identities. And I think we will get there, even though, yes, there's complexity there, but complexity also you know, allows a lot more people to sort of better understand their own identities and, you know, people who might not have previously realized, you know, the gender identity or the sexual orientation that they thought they were, that actually that's not the best fit for how they really see themselves. Well, you and I are both bisexual. We've been around a little bit. (laughs) And I think we can both safely say that what we know about bisexuality now is really just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? You know, if tomorrow we could all suddenly be open, who knows how many bisexual people are actually out there. Yeah, and I think those same sorts of things can apply to gender too, and we're just kind of, yeah, tip of the iceberg, as you say. Terry, that's great. Thanks for talking to us. Keep in touch and and let us know if you have any interesting things to tell us in the future. Terry Kirby, and in just a few moments, we'll have our bisexual journey story for this edition of Bisexual Brunch. This time, it's with Ed in Spain. listening to the Bisexual Brunch podcast. I am a journalist and broadcaster and I'm 37 years old. I live in London with my husband. I'm originally from West Yorkshire. About five years ago, I had a single episode of psychosis which led to suicidal ideation. I'm Devon Rees and this is Life Matters. Our very own Nikki opens up to the new groundbreaking Life Matters podcast. Now that I'm older and I look back, I think in my teens, I was beginning to realise that I was bisexual, but I couldn't put a name to it. There were definitely relationships that I had with girls growing up that were more than just friendships, but I couldn't really put my finger on what they were. On top of all this angst, all this pressure that I was under, you know, to perform, I wasn't really able to be myself. I certainly felt like I can't live like this anymore. Our aim with these shows is to discuss solutions and raise awareness of very important issues which touches many of us. This is Life Matters with actor Dove Rees. Listen within your podcast provider by searching for Life Matters and visit zerosuicidealliance.com for a free online awareness course that could help you save lives. listening to bisexual brunch so then another bisexual journey story and this time one from spain we're joined by ed caratala is that how you say it yeah right fantastic i'll leave it to you to do the pronunciation tell us where you are in spain I am in Premier de Mar, which is a town in the north of Barcelona. Uh, it's a beach town and, and we're getting good weather. Fantastic. Uh, now, is that where you're from originally? I was born in Barcelona, but grew up in, in this area for a while. And I lived in the States also. But yeah, this is a very homey area. And, and just tell us about your situation at the moment. We're obviously going to talk about uh, your bisexual journey story. But mm-hmm. you're partnered at the minute. You've got a girlfriend? Yeah, I, I have a girlfriend. Uh, she's a woman. 
And I just got my daughter. My daughter was born about a month and a half ago. And yeah, we're living here. We moved here for about three years ago and we're both therapists, psychotherapists. Fantastic. So this is, we're reversing things here, aren't we, a little bit? So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be your psychotherapist for the day. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's been quite a therapeutic journey, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, let's go, let's go way back. What was it like growing up where you did in Barcelona? And tell us a bit about the attitudes and things around that time to, to things like sex and, and whatever. What was it like as a, as a kid growing up and becoming a teenager? Was it quite a traditional place or what was it like? It's sort of a mix because um, I, I get the contrast by knowing uh, the, the culture from Argentina. My girlfriend, she's from Argentina and the culture from the United States. So it's sort of a mix. It's quite open in some in some ways, but very traditional in some others. And I, I grew up in a specific household where, where sex was always talked at the table and we knew and we we knew about our parents sex life and and we I have two older brothers and I was I was very aware of how active they were uh and they're 9 and 6 years older than me and so I remember when I was about 15 that my family was well when are you going to lose your virginity <laughs> pressure was on whereas in a lot of households say in the UK It'd be the other way around. Everyone would be hiding it. So you're, right. you're, you're you're completely different. That that that's that's really interesting. Before we talk about the bisexuality, were there any signs in other members of your family of bisexuality or anything like that? Not that I knew at the moment, but um, my my great aunt, she was my god godmother. When I talked to my mom about my bisexuality, she was she was oh huh. Now that I know this word, uh, all of a sudden this story about this person in our family. It sort of makes sense as well. So she she was a very important, very significant person in my life, and it turns out that maybe she was also bisexual. That's interesting. Which is wonderful. So you so you grew up in a fairly liberal environment in t- when it came to sex, in that sense. In when it came to sex, yes. When it ta- when it came to um, sexual orientation, to put in those words, again, sort of a mix. My my parents weren't very vocal about uh, what's good or what's bad, but there was also this sort of conversation of what it should look like and and sort of other sides of the spectrum may be terrifying and bad and evil and. So, so there was this notion then that you might go out there and enjoy yourself and experiment and whatever. But at the end of the day, we really want you to settle down, have a wife yeah. and children. Is that basically definitely? Yeah. And did that sink in with you at that time? Was that? Do you think? Did you always think actually that is really what I want? Um, I, I was confused and doing this journey as well. I, I recalled my teenage years and I was very, um, I consider myself very open in terms of what was allowed to, to do. And I remember there's this phrase here that when you refer, if you like women or men, um, they say, do you like fish or meat? And I remember I never knew which one was which, so I never knew what I was supposed to answer. And there was this kid that he would ask me that, and I, was, I would always respond, I like women, just to move on with the conversation. But at the same time, I was very comfortable experimenting and kissing guys and, and sort of having these different experiences that the day after I would just look back and be, okay, I was open and I tried this out, but I'm heterosexual. Um, and uh, I'm comfortable with this. I'm so comfortable in my own skin that I can try this, but I can continue doing that. Now that I look back at it, it was, 
I was open and I could experiment, but the day after, sort of, when I had a conversation with friends, family, I, I sort of had to, or felt like I had to, uh, turn that conversation in, uh, I drank too much last night, for example, or, yeah, I don't know what was that about. <laughs> but, so you, so you, but yeah. you, you felt as though you were just playing, really. It was just a game yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So when did it become, I mean, I know we've helped you because you sent us a letter saying that Definitely. listening to Bisexual Brunch has helped, which is fantastic. And I'm really pleased with that. And and is it literally only recently that you've started to take this side of yourself more seriously then? Or, or, or have there been moments in your life whereby you could have actually had a relationship with a man or, you know, how has it gone? I didn't have fully like a full relationship in terms of a boyfriend. Uh, but I've had experiences both in, in, uh, kissing and, and having sexual experiences as well. And, and about five years ago, I think I learned of the term by curious and I was like, Oh, maybe that's what I meant, what I am. Because recalling and, and going back and thinking about what, how I used to think, uh, I did hear the word bisexual, but it, it was never something that I could be because the question was always very polar was, um, I'm either on one end of the spectrum or the other. And I have this attraction for guys, but since I also really like girls, I really like women. It must be that I'm open, but I'm heterosexual. And it wasn't until uh, about three years ago with, with some rainbow watch bands that I started experimenting sort of, uh, with the colors, um, and how I felt with them. And I would consider myself a very, uh, strong ally. And I would go to, since I'm also a therapist and a psychologist, there's some authors that refer to that everyone has a potentiality that has the potential for being bisexual. And there's this, uh, for example, very heterosexual men that enjoy watching um, health magazines about uh, how fit this body is and so on. So that's sort of that potential in that area. So I played and I with the concept that I'm part of that everyone is bisexual. And it wasn't until actually listening to your podcast and, and some other content creators on YouTube that got a conversation going and it was actually with a with a an argument with my girlfriend um she she used to be very jealous and i will always respond to her why are you jealous just with women why are you not jealous with this guy and up to one point i said when 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 will you accept that i'm bisexual and that was sort of wait are you playing with this term because this is an actual term people truly identify with this? Are you playing with this or do you actually identify with this? And that's where I started looking for the word bisexual online and I came up uh, and I found you guys, which was truly activating. Fabulous. Well, I'm really pleased. You know, we, we we didn't set out to change people's lives, but it seems that we are doing that, which is, which is fantastic. Definitely. But what it shows really is that for me, there's lots of research around bisexuality and things. Mm-hmm. And often it's talked of that, yes, there's, there's female bisexuality, mm-hmm. but male bisexuality is, hardly exists. But mm-hmm. what we're proving, actually, we're getting letters like yours every single week from guys mm-hmm. around the world. So it obviously is the tip of the iceberg, really. I think, I think you know, there's tons of people out there who probably are in exactly the same situation. Did you ever mm-hmm. talk about the potential of you being bisexual, or at least fancying men, to other female partners along the way. It's funny because it's always it was always a question. My girlfriend, we've been for together for seven years, 
when we started dating, um, it, it was in California, we met there, and there was this group that they were waiting for her to confirm that I liked women because they weren't sure. Because I have the, I, I'm very, um, touchy feely and I'm, I'm very close and I, I get very close to people and I don't care if it's men or women. And they were, they would talk amongst themselves to see, I don't know if Ed is heterosexual or homosexual, if he likes women or he likes guys. And I've always had, uh, in, in many situations, I've had, uh, conversations with partners that told me once we started dating that they weren't sure. And they, for the beginning of the relationship, they weren't sure until we were intimate that I was actually into women. And did you ever talk about you, the potential for you to be bisexual with other people outside relationships, like your best male friend or anything like that? Mm -hmm. Did you, or, or, or brothers, your brothers you, you, you grew up with, or did you express it in other ways? Did, did anybody sort of ask you about it, you know, directly? I've, I've had the question, but I would, uh, as I was saying earlier, I would always sort of make the conversation turn into, I'm very open and I'm very comfortable exploring, but at the end of the day, I'm, I, I like women. So I've doing these, uh, listening to your podcast and, and looking at YouTube videos, I came up, uh, I came across the word of biophobia and internal, internalized biophobia. And that sort of was a puzzle piece that went kathunk. And, and everything made sense in, in terms of I was, uh, sort of biphobic with myself, uh, and how I turned the conversation when I, whenever I had it. And I, I had a lot of people ask me about it. And whenever I had that conversation, I would sort of finish that conversation by saying, I'm into women. So that's that. Yeah. Cause I, I kept saying that to myself in a way. Yeah. No, I, I can understand that. And I think that happens as well actually on the other side of things with people who are in gay facing relationships who mm -hmm. like because I came I came out in a queer way as it were I, I explored my attraction to men before my attraction to women so it was mm -hmm. the other, other way around and and what tended to happen would be I don't know it was a sort of feeling of letting the side down to an extent letting the LGBT world down because I'd embrace that and mm -hmm. why was I even thinking about the possibility of maybe having sex with a woman? What was all that, you know what I mean? So it works in, in, in different ways for, for everybody. And I'm sure, again, there are plenty of people out there who've got similar stories to me. And, and we've got a few people contact us and we'll be hearing about them in, in, in future weeks. So in terms of your girlfriend now, is she straight? Yeah, She's completely she straight, right, okay. Mm -hmm. And now you've... Because you said to us in the letter that you wrote to us, you said to us that this had enabled you and her to contemplate and talk about these things more so. Mm -hmm. So where are you at the moment? How's this journey going in terms of exploring this area of your sexuality? Because she's she needs to be comfortable with all of this, doesn't she? Of course. And it was difficult at first because um, when I started using the word bisexual, it was more a social concept rather than a, a self-identifying word. And when I was more firm with the, with the word and I came out to her, let's talk about this. And, it, and it's not just that everyone is bisexual. I'm talking to you that I am bisexual and I've learned this about me. Um, she, she got very, at first 
she reacted like, oh, it makes sense. Uh, I, and she remembered and recalled that uh, she asked me at the beginning if I, if I like men. But it, it, it was a week after that that we had a, some very serious conversations and, and she had a lot of questions. One of them was that she, she was so scared and so worried that she even asked me if I still felt like a man. And I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm just the B of the LGBT. I'm, <laughs> I still feel like a man. But yeah, that shows um, that she had a lot of questions. She was terrified because, um, of course, we in our story, in our in our relationship, we have talked about opening the relationship at some point, and it's sort of an active conversation where we're we're monogamous and 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 we were not planning on opening. But I made sure because she was pregnant at the time, and I made sure to talk to her in terms of this is. It doesn't necessarily mean that I need anything to change in practical terms. I don't want to open the relationship now. I'm not saying this because I want to open the relationship. I love you. I'm very comfortable with you and I'm, I'm very happy and pleased with you. But since I've learned this, I couldn't hold it any longer because then I would feel that I would be lying to you. So I suppose it's important to you to have all that in the open just in case at some point in the future that you decide or you both decide that you're happy having an mm -hmm. open relationship or whatever right. you know this is where we get into the detail now of, uh, of, of your your sexuality and in, in terms of the raw side on the sex side of things how important is it to you do you think obviously as you say you've had sexual encounters with men and all the rest of it but how important mm -hmm. is it for you in the future do you think to acknowledge not just the whole thing of yeah, people to acknowledge that you do fancy men and women and other genders or whatever. But do you think you're going to be able to go through life being completely monogamous? Um, this discovery of being and, and knowing that I am bisexual doesn't really change the way I feel. I was very romantic when I was little and I, I had this sort of ideal that uh, I would meet my, my girlfriend uh, when I was 16 and we would fall in love and stay together forever. This is and still- And how, how old are you now? I'm 34 almost. I'm 33 and I'll be 34 in, in a couple of weeks. Okay, so it didn't quite happen at 16, but it's happened later on. No, definitely not. <laughs> But I do feel a, I'm, I'm very comfortable in a monogamous relationship as well as I would be if, if it's something that is, it still is respectful, uh, with a relationship. Uh, I've heard you guys talk about, um, ethical non-monogamy. So that would definitely have to be something. If we ever open the relationship, it wouldn't, and as a therapist, I can also say it would be terrible to use the openness of a relationship to deal with internal conflicts because then it's sort of like a, a centrifuge all the problems and everything smashes <laughs> absolutely absolutely well but what about the general thing of how can i put it um you know you can walk down the street you can fancy men you can fancy women what do you do about that from a purely physical perspective do you do you watch porn do you know is it you know tell me what you know where do you you know, I'm, I'm asking these questions. You don't have to answer these questions, but I'm asking no. these questions because I know that the audience, these will be the questions they'll be thinking about. You know, well, what, mm -hmm. what does he do? How right. does he deal with that? You know, When it comes to the more physical, out in the world part of it, it would be sort of the same answer that I don't now feel uncomfortable with my relationship. I don't fancy or I don't actively do anything about any woman that I find attractive. So I, it's sort of the same uh, concept when it comes to men. I can look at men and I can see how uh, sexy or, or attractive I can find them. But it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that I 
feel this urge or pull to act on that. When it comes to more the more intimate part of things and, and in porn, it was actually uh, also in porn where I found a few years ago, I found a video that sort of included two men. And, and I was like, hmm, I find this specifically interesting. And that got the question going. And, and in that sense, definitely, yeah, I, when I, whenever I do look at porn, I can look at heterosexual, uh, homosexual or, everything in between and, uh, and of course and of course the other thing is that women you know there are women out there like like we hear a lot of the fact that straight men like seeing two women doing things mm-hmm. there are a lot of women actually that like seeing two men doing things so you never know where that might lead in terms of your discussions right. of your relationship but have you have you got to a point the t- pair of you where you can can you acknowledge to her now that when you're walking on the street oh actually he's attractive or you see somebody on tv can you can you share notes now is that is that something that happens or i i could do that before um a lot more because the, we we have this joke or not so much a joke that we each have a list of five famous people that it's sort of uh allowed if it were ever happen and i had a list of five men and five women um go on tell, tell us who's on the list um definitely chris hemsworth <laughs> Jennifer Aniston was definitely has always been since since Rachel and she's still there. And I think it was Craig David. I'm really bad with names. I, I'm I'm more of a an image guy. Um But who do you who do you, who do you, who do you match up with? Are there particular people you both like? Adam Levine from Room Five was definitely one. And uh Lenny Kravitz, I think. Okay, also. so there you go. If you if you go down the route of ethical non non monogamy, we know who we've got to get in touch with. Don't we? Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so how is she at the moment? Then is she? Do you think you're in a, a position whereby she's happy with this, you're happy with this, you feel you both feel comfortable together? You know, you've, mm. you've opened up to us. You're talking to the rest of the world through this podcast, but these are mm-hmm. intimate things, and it's early days, isn't it? And you've got a kid as well. Yeah, it's definitely um, a still a process because there is sort of a ongoing conversations that we still have. For example, I can I can today say maybe a little bit more, and we've played with the idea of both pointing out this guy is sexy or something. But she still has this look of hmm. She 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 is jealous. So if, if even if I said that of a woman, she would still uh, react to that. And now she also reacts with I guess in that argument. That original argument was my goal to get her to react to both genders or or both men and women. So it's definitely been a process. She had a lot of questions and something that was very important since we were together. And and I know this also affects her. And I knew that in in the moment. I wanted to be very respectful of her timings before I, I wasn't in a hurry before coming out to the rest of the world per se so before i started talking with other friends with one of my best friends or or my best friends i made sure that she was comfortable and uh to to see when she was comfortable to meet together because she was also worried that there would be questions towards her uh, for example her family doesn't yet know some of her family because then it would turn to a conversation of how she feels about that and she's not fully sure how to respond she she knows how to respond with me because it's a safe space and we can talk about it but she doesn't yet feel strong enough to not feel judged and she's afraid for example that maybe her parents might judge me and she might have to get in the way and so she's not 
quite there yet. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a journey for her, isn't it? At the same, exactly Definitely. the same time. What's bizarre about this, though, is that both of you are therapists. Mm-hmm. And you deal with all these kind of things, these, these complexities all the time with other people. How does it feel to be in that, <laughs> in that situation? I mean, because, you know, you mentioned the word jealousy. And, and let's face it, that is something everyone experiences at some stage in their lives. Definitely. And if you were going to go down the route of ethical non-monogamy, I think one of the biggest issues with that is getting over those, that issue. Because mm-hmm. it's very hard. You know, you, mm-hmm. you've got an emotional attachment. You love each other, all the rest of it. Suddenly you're in a situation whereby someone's having sex with your partner or, or, you know, what do you what do? you do? And then the fear's there that, oh, they might end up getting attached to them emotionally or whatever. But no, just, just generally, just reflect on this whole thing of being therapists yourselves mm-hmm. and now, in a way, needing some therapy. First of all, therapists, we're not immune to emotional and, and relational uh, distress. So we've actually been in therapy together, uh, both individually and as a couple uh, before all this. Since we're both therapists, we, we, we made a, uh, we made a rule that we don't talk about our clients, our patients when we get home because we also need to rest. But then this is also, this actually got us, um, talking a lot about, uh, the, the rules of the relationship and, and how we feel in the relationship. And one of the things that gave me a lot of energy when I started, um, uh, when, when I acknowledged myself and I, I accepted myself as I was, as bisexual was that I, I stopped cho- sort of choosing her between the half of the population because I, I was now choosing her among the entire world. I used to say, and I, I still believe it, that she is the most beautiful woman that I've ever seen, famous or non-famous. And now I can say that she's the most beautiful person I've ever seen, famous or, or non-famous. And it has it has a more complex meaning now. Have you said that to her? Have you told yeah, her that? Definitely. Yeah. And how does she feel about that? What was the reaction? She never believed it before and, and she she has the same reaction now. <laughs> That's interesting. Now on the on the therapist side of things, we we've talked about here about the fact that more and more people are coming out to us on bisexual brunch who are men mm-hmm. in particular, who don't mm-hmm. have anywhere to talk, you know, anybody to talk to. Some of them have mentioned about, you know, feeling confused and a little bit of therapy and stuff like that. But largely, is this an area which the world, when it comes to therapy, isn't really equipped for or doesn't really know much about? I mean, I know people who go and see people about being gay and all those kind of things mm-hmm. and talk it through and whatever. But it strikes me from, certainly from the stories I've heard and people I know, that there's not a great deal of knowledge out there about dealing with people or helping people who are bisexual, is there? Definitely not. I think the world is very, and both socially and and and, and psychological, or the psychological um, research and 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 great theories are very oriented in in terms of defining uh, what happens when someone has same sex attractions or or opposite sex attractions. But in in the in between of the spectrum. There's very little resources, and and even in that sense, um, I feel like uh, you you in in different episodes, in different podcasts, you talk about these bisexual culture. Uh, I think that something that we may have in common, in in that sense, is that we tend to be 
more in the in-between side of things, uh, whenever it is politically, uh, sexually, um, and we tend to, or I find myself and other bisexuals that are mostly clients that I've spoken to, that we tend to be capable or, or we tend to do the sort of a devil's advocate side of uh, the interactions. And that's definitely something that is not there when it comes to great theories uh, of psychology. When, when it comes to Freud, for example, which is one of the, the greater psychologists, it's sort of that dichotomy uh, of people tend to be put in boxes and very separated boxes um even, the, only, example, the only one really i suppose was was kinsey the you know the sexologist guy in the right. 50s and uh, a lot of his stuff sadly was you know dismissed or derided or whatever but of course he, mm-hmm. he had the kinsey scale which is fascinating because he, he obviously looked at the sexual side of things but also he did hint at the emotional side of things as well and i mm-hmm. asked this question in all these interviews and i'm gonna ask you as well do you think i mean you probably don't know in some respects because you mm-hmm. might not have got close enough to a man or whatever, but do you feel there is a slight bent towards being more emotionally attached to women and sexually attached to men, or how do you feel? How do you see it in your mind generally? For you personally, um, looking into my journey, I would say that uh, in those terms of sixty or fifty-fifty, sixty-forty, or whatever, I, I guess I would be more in in the side of I have more attraction towards women because it's also what I, what I, what I did more, uh, what I, what I went with more. And again, I do consider myself very open before allowing myself to, to identify with being bisexual. Um, and I don't have a, 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 a future ball or a crystal ball, whatever you call it. Um, but, uh, I don't know what it would have been, but I'm, I'm almost certain that I would have explored or, or, cause I, I wasn't afraid sort of feeling if I, if I identified with being homosexual. Um, but in that sort of dichotomy or polar positioning, I felt more towards, uh, I like women. Did it, did it ever, um, I've got friends who are still friends, but they, they're people who are very anti bi, not anti, anti bi in terms of they, <laughs> They're not anti-me, but they think that bisexuality doesn't exist. You know, mm-hmm. there, are, there, are, there are gay people, who gay men, who will say to me, bisexuality doesn't exist. I think it's a fear thing. I think they're worried about, you know, a guy getting with a guy who's going to go off with a woman. You know, it's the same thing in reverse to what you're talking about. But obviously there is this myth, isn't there? That, and, mm-hmm. and I suppose it exists in some respects for some people, that people are on some kind of journey. They'll say they're bi before they become gay. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think along your journey that you were going through some kind of, you were having to, your mind was making you, you know, you you, you were going to have to make some kind of choice and you, your body and your mind were mixing you up and you felt mixed up or did you all, or did you always feel right at the very beginning, deep down that actually you were naturally attracted to men and women? I felt the attraction to both, but um, since in that sort of internalized concept that you're either or you're you're one or the other, um, I would I would question if I was if I felt or I identified or or was homosexual, but I never when I was a teenager when I was growing up when I was experimenting I never actually questioned or or gave myself the opportunity uh, of the word bisexual. Or, or pansexual or, or, or 
any other thing other than heterosexual and homosexual. Um, so I felt like I only had those two terms to identify, even though I heard other terms, I was only allowing myself to access one of those two terms. If we were in a perfect world and mm -hmm. we didn't need to have this conversation now and you'd grown up knowing that there were people who were bisexual and everyone knew that and it was accepted and nobody nobody hid it and you know you knew who was bisexual who was gay who was straight or whatever you'd have had a great time wouldn't you that, that's <laughs> what my brother said <laughs> when i told my brother he would he did tell me "Ooh, if you did know that before you would have had an amazing time <laughs> But and but that's where we're laughing at it now. But does that mm -hmm. annoy you as well at the same time? That that basically society has created this kind of atmosphere and this kind of world in which people aren't able to acknowledge those things. So actually, I know you're in, you're only in your thirties, but mm -hmm. you know you've you've missed lots of opportunities. I don't necessarily mean sexual opportunities, although there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that, obviously. But right. you know the emotional opportunities, the chances to Definitely. explore those things, and and obviously for other people as well, because mm -hmm. we're talking here now, we know full well that there are lots of people out there who aren't able to talk about it. You know what I mean? Exactly. How does it make you feel and when you think that actually something bigger than than you or me? stood in the way from you being able to be your full self in your early years as a human being. This precisely is almost um, what gave me the most energy to come out as bisexual because I, I look, when my niece was born uh, 11 years ago, uh, I started questioning uh, about the world she is going to grow up in. Uh, and I got very... Um, emotional and passionately uh, into uh, the female role side of things in society. And I, I, one of my best friends, she's a very, very profound feminist and we have beautiful and, and very enlightening conversations. And I always ask her, where am I in this conversation? And, and I ask her to challenge me wherever she can. So now with that, uh, I was expecting a daughter. I didn't know, I, I know I was expecting a baby. I didn't know if it was a girl or boy. I sort of started questioning in a different way in what world is she going to grow up in? And part of that world is me and, and how I talk about the world and how I show her the world. Her name is Dunia, which means world in, in, in Arab. And, and so I, I started asking myself, what world do I want to gift to her? Do I want to, do I want her to grow up in? And very quickly that took me to a place of, I want her to grow up in a world where bisexuality exists. And it's not in the, in sort of different ends of, of, of poles or, or spectrums. But the, the reality of things is that it tends to be more in between and it's more freeing in that sense. So looking back, it would have been fun to, to know and have that world in my, uh, that word in my world before. But at the same time, I'm not sure I would be where I am today. So I'm almost thankful that I didn't know and I'm saying that with, with a very small mouth but what I want to make sure is that in the world to come and in, in the, the world that continues I want to make sure that all the worlds are available because it, then it is a more open world and a more free world uh, yeah and, 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 and obviously you know um, we're fighting to make sure that the word bisexual is known about and, and whatever but there has been progress in other areas. You know, we do seem to be hearing the the term non-binary a lot more, mm -hmm. uh, which is bizarre in a way, because you think to yourself, 
bisexuality, the word bisexuality has been around for a long, long time. You'd think we'd hear more about that before you heard non-binary. I'm very pleased that non-binary is mentioned, but it, it is slightly annoying that actually sometimes the media gets confused with it. They don't mm-hmm. understand the difference between non-binary and and bisexuality that because sexuality and gender are different, but mm-hmm. for some reason that's thrown up in the air. I know, I know it can all be a bit mixed up, but you know, people don't seem to get mm-hmm. the differences, which I think is quite strange. And then we seem to hear a lot about fluidity and we mm-hmm. hear all that kind of thing, but we seem to bypass bisexuality. It's like, it's weird. I don't know what it is. I, I, I really don't know what it is. I mean, you've heard us speculate about that on the, on the show, but what do you think it is? What's the problem with the word bisexual? I think it hits, it hits home. It hits, um, in an ideal world, world, we would never assume who is attracted to who. And, and, and that is a very active conversation with ourselves. So if I'm attracted to women or I'm attracted to men and I can position that and I can know that, um, but I have, if I have this other chance that maybe I might be 2% attracted to men, then that becomes scary, sort of. And if it's gender identity, from my experience at least, is more, psychologically speaking, it can be more difficult to deal with the in-betweens because you absolutely do not fit anywhere. And I know it's, if I, if I never came out as bisexual, I would have missed a part of myself and I would have, I would have learned about it, but I would have, uh, I, I could survive in a way, uh, not happily, not fully, but I could survive in a way. But if I don't feel in my skin that I look like what I feel, then that has a more, uh, a, a more negative effect than psychologically speaking. It has, there's a lot of cutting. There's a lot of, uh, anxiety. There's a lot of trauma associated with it. And that's sort of in between with bisexual. I think it, it, it was difficult enough to allow homosexuality to, al- to exist in the world, uh, socially speaking, that once that was established, I guess it shocked too much that there could be something else. Yeah, I mean, for heaven's sake, you know, everyone might be a little bit gay. Exactly. <laughs> but that's what we're oh, saying. No. That's what we're talking about, isn't it, really? That everyone really, what we're saying is that mm-hmm. lots of people have got the potential to be, you know, to, to be, um, to have different sexualities at different stages in their life, possibly as well. Do you know then anybody, apart from the people you know, maybe clients or whatever, or those of us meeting me today, talking to me, do you know anybody who is, anybody who's a really good friend who is bisexual? Um, No, not really. Um, You see, this is interesting. This is interesting. Everyone seems to say this, roughly. Yeah. Once I started saying I'm bisexual, a lot of response was, um, I'm not sure if I may be. Even my mom actually said, I I guess I never experimented, so I'm not sure. And I, I told her that was a very... Uh, surprisingly supportive and generous answer. And with some friends also, they would respond, women mostly. Yeah, since I, I didn't try it, I, I guess I'm not sure. Maybe I am. That must have been quite it's, an experience telling your mum. What, what, how, did, how did that feel? Surprisingly well. I told my parents together, I told my brother before, and he was incredibly supportive. He was, uh, usually reaction knowing me was, oh, that makes a lot of sense. You, you, you are a very open person. So I, I never thought of it, but now that you say it, it just makes sense and almost angrily supportive he would say that if anyone has anything bad to say about it don't allow it don't don't let it and if anyone wants to hurt you let me know and i'll 
I'll go punch them if I have to. And, and what, did dad, mate, what, parent, did, what did your dad think about it? My dad, he's an engineer, um, so it took him a, a while to get out of the ones and zeros uh, and the, the 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 two sides of of the world. And at first, he would say that that's not really coming out; that that's just discovering something. And yeah, that's me telling you is exactly co- that coming out. And my mom was. Uh, she had a ver- the the best answer she could have actually, and she said, um, she looked me dead in the eye and said, "Was I up to it when you were growing up? Did did I fail you in any way?" Because she just looked at me and and felt uh, I, I don't know this deep connection and the sort of deep responsibility uh, of was I up to the challenge and did I fail you? Uh, which I automatically responded that absolutely she did. And there was something that I wasn't allowing myself to question. And, and it had not directly, at least it had nothing to do with, with the family system. Yeah, it's, it's a bigger thing, isn't it? So when it comes to, um, we've had a few people contacting us, asking us things like the difference between dating a woman and dating a man, the difference between having sex with a woman, sex with a man, that kind of thing. And it seems a lot of people want us to try and answer these questions and it's very difficult because we're all different but I'm just going to ask you that question now in your experience mm-hmm. what are the differences or have, or have there been or have there been more similarities I don't know I'm not sure if the differences that I can recall can fully be on uh, relied on my experiences between how is it different with a man or with a woman because whenever it was an experience with a man um let's just say there was more alcohol involved uh, because I had to fight against myself and allow myself to do it. And so I'm not sure if it's because it was with man or because there was more, uh, less inhibitions involved. But with that sort of one night connection, one night stand thing with a man, it's definitely, I feel it's more active. And I really didn't have the, the, that many experiences with one night stands with women to compare in that sense. Cause I never really had a relationship or a continuity with a man to be able to respond that with, with. Yeah. No, I, I understand that. Answer. I understand that. And I think the experience of a lot of, if you get a gay man talking to a straight man, the straight man will probably be very jealous very quickly of the gay man because in most gay <laughs> relationships you can get it on very quickly whereas straight relationships take a long time don't they? so I, I i think there is i think there's something there it doesn't always work that way obviously there are women who want to get it on quickly and there are men who don't want to and want to do things gradually so yeah there are differences but what about in terms of the the type of man and type of woman that you've ended up with are they similar you know i find i think i've said this before on some of the interviews that i find that i go for very gentle sort of people both in terms of personality and probably also terms of physicality in a sense both men and women are there similarities between the men and women that you've ended up dating or are there big differences i guess one big similarity would be um since i'm very touchy-feely that it would have to be someone that ha- that is comfortable with physical contact not just in a sexual way but i love to hug and i i think that in a hug you communicate so much more than with any words and in terms of the physical uh image it, it's it's more in the differences then because i i feel more attracted with more strong but feminine women and and women that can put themselves and and own themselves in a way and, and can be active and with men i tend to look more at their backs and yeah I, I guess it's more more masculine men and more feminine women and of course you mentioned that you're touchy-feely which is great but it must have been very difficult for you 
during the coronavirus period because you mm-hmm. can't be like that. I mean, how have you coped with that? You've not been able to do that for a while. I'm, I'm very touchy-feely, but at the same time, I'm very independent. I'm, I'm almost a, a hermit. But with with the COVID and, and, and the lockdown, I would do FaceTimes, I would do calls with my friends and tell them when we meet each other, when we see again, just know that I'll be hugging you for at least five minutes. Then we can start the conversation. But first, I need those five minutes of not letting you go um, because I, I miss that contact. Well, the bisexual brunch team, Nikki, Lewis and I, I'm sure we'll give you a virtual hug, okay? There you go. <laughs> Ed, it's been fantastic talking to you. Re- re- really nice to talk to you. Let's try and connect again at some point and find out how things have gone. I ask this question at the end usually, um, you know, and I'm, I'm really pleased that we've we've been able to help you. That is it's fantastic. And uh, it makes me quite emotional thinking about it, actually. It's really nice. What is it then about now you're able to be open about your bisexuality and, you know, you've you've opened up to your mum and your dad and your brothers and, of course, your, your, your partner as well. What is it about being bisexual? What is it you're embracing most? It's me. It it just made sense, and the the same reaction that my close circles have been having that uh, oh that makes a lot of sense. I had that same reaction with me, and and as a therapist, I'm I'm very aware of possible physical uh, repercussions of stress and anxiety and so on. And I had this itch on my skin for the last three four years, and someone someone told me that it was a cold of the skin, which I never knew that could be. And when I allowed myself to to identify with bisexual, the itch disappeared almost instantly. In in just two weeks, I, it, it had, my skin hasn't itched since, and and that's it. I, I was I wasn't comfortable in my own skin in that sense, and I wasn't sure why. I wasn't sure what was happening, and and I couldn't find the answer. But when that piece came into place, and 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 so. It's just that comfort that that me being me, me being allowing myself to be me, even if it doesn't change anything in practical terms with the outside world, I'm still still in a monogamous relationship with a woman. Now I am me, I'm wearing my colors, knowing what they mean. I filled I'm full of t-shirts and and uh stickers with the bisexual flag everywhere. Um, well there's a bisexual brunch uh, mug to come soon, so I'll let you know uh, that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, so you feel very comfortable uh in your situation now, which is which is which is great. If you hadn't done that, if you hadn't come across bisexual brunch, how long do you think you would have carried on bottling it up and keeping it quiet. You think they I guess kept, until my skin fell off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> this could have gone on for a long time, couldn't it? Yeah, it, which is terrible, which um, I started looking for the, world bise- the word bisexual online, and I'm so grateful that I came across you guys. Um, and because it, it's, there was this time where you, you were, I don't know, three weeks uh, late on an episode. I was worried about you guys. What's happening? I, I, how can I know about them? Because it was this conversation that in, in, in my world, in my perspective, you were talking to me and that allowed me to have very uh, deep conversations with myself during that week and or a couple of weeks until the next episode. So, yeah, I guess it could have gone for a long time, but the itch was there. That's funny, actually, because I've got I've got an, I've got an itch on my back that never go. It's always there all the time. I wonder what that must, must be something must be something else that I'm uh, I'm bottling up or something. But no, it's been fantastic talking to you, Ed. Um, really, really nice. I say, keep in touch and um, and all the best to your partner and to your your little one. Fantastic. Thank you, Ed. That's great. Thank you so much for the opportunity and and for this time. It's it's been amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Good stuff. 
Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. So Bisexual Brunch uh, continues and uh, we've got now our Ask a Bisexual feature. Something you want to know? Why not ask a bisexual? So the question this time um, is from somebody who wants to remain anonymous and uh, they say, Hi all, my question or conundrum this week is this. There is a guy who I am really interested in. We've been talking for a few months and we've gone out a couple of times. He says, I just found out that he won't pursue anything further with me because he knows I haven't been with a guy yet. So I guess my question is, how do you manoeuvre early same-sex relationships as a bisexual? Now, my instant reaction to that is, move on and go and find somebody else. Because if somebody cannot understand and cannot even contemplate that you might be in a situation where you've never had sex with a particular gender, then I don't think it's worth it. Anybody else want to say I do anything? think it's really unfair. Everyone's got to start somewhere, haven't they? Yeah. And if somebody... Like, we all know how desire works. Like, if we fancy someone, we fancy them. It doesn't matter if we know how the parts work. We can figure that out. That's part of the fun. I mean, I'm not normally an advocate of telling fibs, but actually, I think if you really like someone, you think they're going to flip out because you haven't slept with anybody else, just fib about it, because they're not going to know, are they? You know, human beings are not that different from each other. And uh, if you're into somebody, you'll always have a good time with them. So I might just tell a sneaky white lie and be like, oh, there's been a few. Yeah, yeah. The problem is he's already <laughs> been honest with him and said he hasn't had... It so... is a bit too late now, but for the next one, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, absolutely. Watch a, bit, watch a bit of porn and, see, you know, pretend that, you know, that's the way it works. Watch a bit of porn, get your, get your pillow and then have a go with somebody <laughs> in real life and don't tell them the truth. There's no point. Lewis? Uh, confu- wait, so first of all, yeah, good riddance to him. And I know that that's, a, like, that's probably not, if you're the person that's written, a nice thing to hear. Because, you know, I've been there where it's like, I really like someone, they just didn't let me back in the right way. And that always sucks. But uh, trust me, from one bisexual to another, good riddance. Um, I think the thing is here is, what do you want out of sex? If it is just that you want to have sex to have sex sake, and it's like, now I've done it, I've ticked it off. Like, you can go to a sauna, you can go on grinder. you could, you literally might meet anyone and have sex with you. Men are not that hard to get in bed. Um, <laughs> if it is that you are, you know, you want to be in a loving relationship for your first time, then you, you know, just keep keep doing what you're, what you're doing. Eventually you'll meet someone that will be happy that it's your first time or just won't care and will be, will be wanting to teach with you. I think you're, you're, it's unfortunate. I think you're having a bad first experience, but I think you get out of it what you want out of it. So if you just want to have sex with a guy, do that. If you want to be in a love relationship for the first time that you have sex with a guy, then do that. You know, just make sure it's on your terms and you do it your way. Obviously, that, they've got a consent as well. That's really good advice. I do think sometimes when we're dating, we spend too much time thinking, are we right for them and not are they right for us? When I met my husband, I basically auditioned men to go on a date with me. And I'd never <laughs> never thought about it that way, but it changed the game, I swear to God. You know, they can sit there and be looking at you super silly, but if you're like, well, that shirt's terrible, you're not actually as hot as you think you are, well, they're not right for you either. So, you know. There is a question, yeah. though, I think, underlying this in, in what he was saying that isn't just about this particular situation he's in. I think it might also be the fact that, you know, he's probably asking us a little bit about how you go from having dated one 
set of people, i.e. in this sense women, to dating men. Um, I don't know what it was like for you, Lewis, but I, I, the way around with me was that I dated men first and then ended up dating women and there was particular differences and we've talked about differences before and, and how that plays out and for me it was more a fact of feeling I was I was constantly feeling guilty that I was letting the LGBT side down how could you how could I possibly go with one you know and it's, I'm, I'm sort of abandoning the LGBT world and it was all weird concoction in my head what was it like for you Lewis did you were you did you date men first and then women or women first then men and what was the situation for you no it it was women to men, um, so it was it was different. And don't forget, I was a lot younger, and not I didn't know that I was bisexual. Really. So I, I think one of the things is that it's culturally different. Like as much as we want to pretend, like oh no, there's no such thing. Like men and women like to be treated differently, especially when you're dating them. Um, and I think the only way you can just deal with that is just like take it with a pinch of salt, enjoy the ride. You're gonna get things wrong. You're gonna mix it up. Try and be a good person that's it. Like, it's going to be bumpy. Um, just because there, there are cultural differences and people are different. It's not like, oh, I, you know, I just follow these five rules for men and these five rules for women and then I know what I'm doing. No, there's like, it's it's a minefield. So there's that. I think with the sex thing, you know, when I was going through it, it was very much that I kind of felt like, oh, well, you know, if I put this penis in my mouth, then that's it. I'm gay forever. And there's no, like, you know, it was some sort of, like, ceremony and it was going to be all official and there's going to be thunder and stuff. That's <laughs> <laughs> there was no going back and I think but I mean on a serious note there you know there a lot of women will not date men that have had sex with men so there was that element of like doing this one act will really rule you out from a lot of women if you ever want to go back over there so there it is a bit of a minefield um and then I think um when it comes to the sex part um it is different because you first of all got to figure out what you want your role to be if you are a man that has been dating a woman and I mean, this is this is me um, being a bit prejudiced because obviously people use strap-ons and there's pegging and all that kind of stuff. But if you are just, I don't even know what you would call it, a traditional couple, you know, penis and the vagina and that's it. Um, like, you probably are going to be going in there like, well, is he going to put his penis in me? Oh my God, like, wh- what about that? Like, do I need to douche? Like, what do I do? Like, what what is he going to want to do? So there, there is that nervousness of actually I'm a bit of a virgin well you are a virgin again in that kind of sense but now with a virgin of the hindsight of you have had sex so it's a, it's a bit of an odd one and you're kind of like figuring it out and also with men it is figuring out that who's going to be top who's going to be bottom who's going to be verse like but it is a bit of a minefield and it is tricky which is why you need to either just do it with a random stranger that you're never going to see again it's like oh it was absolutely terrible we all ended <laughs> up just like awfulness covered in poo um and like we never see him again, or it was you know what I really enjoyed. I really love this person, and we've talked it through, and it was really relaxing. It actually took five tries before you know I had a penis inside me um, because we were just you know taking our time. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I don't think. Can yeah, I just <laughs> say? I, I don't think Lewis has ever put it so bluntly on the podcast before. No, he's usually quite I don't a subtle. Think I've never heard him. Say, he's normally quite subtle. I yeah. don't know. Subtle. Even. Shy, yeah, yeah. sheepish, <laughs> but tonight, no, it, it's because it's Friday. Obviously, yeah, don't bring, don't bring you sheep call me on a it. Friday. <laughs> <laughs> well, so no, but I think one of, one of the things to add to that though it, it, is, you know, you were talking, and you're absolutely right. You know, the whole issue of physicality, what you actually physically do, and who puts what where, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's important also to say that um, loads and loads of of, of of men who have sex with each other 
don't even bother going down the route of penetration in any way, shape, or form. You know, it's not the be all end all for everybody. <clears throat> so don't feel pressurized to go for that. You don't have to. You know what I mean? That's 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 quite important to to acknowledge. But I think there is another thing in this though that um, I think the I may be wrong. Again, it, it's it's my own experience, and but I feel as though the gay world, bisexual world, bi, bi male, gay male world can be quite um, cutting and ruthless uh, when it comes to sex and it's about often it can be about the the, the, the chase and the pull and getting older you know getting older somebody having sex with them and then literally going off and meeting somebody else and you know no no emotions one night stands can be quite cruel in the in the LGBT world in a way actually you know some people go off to saunas you know I've been to saunas end up more or less falling in love with somebody overnight, you know, while I've been in the sauna. And then, of course, never see them again because nobody ever wants to date you again when you've met somebody in a sauna. Do you know what I mean? There's all that kind of thing going on. Whereas with women, I may be wrong. I don't think it's completely um, true, totally. There are women out there who just want to go out and have sex and go off to the next person. Nikki, I'm sure that's the case. Um, but um, I think it is different generally. I think there tends to be a little bit more sort of dating and not necessarily dating but certainly getting to know somebody a little bit a bit of emotion was what so what i'm saying really is that if you're encountering the bi stroke gay world um in terms of you know male male kind of situation um for the first time depending on probably depending on where you are in the world as well though to be honest because if you're somewhere that's quite isolated it, it probably isn't a big issue because you that's the only person you'll get to know or get to see you know on a regular basis but if you're in a sort of a big city or something where there's lots of opportunities for people to meet lots of people then you may be cast off very quickly do you, do you know where i'm coming from so it's a case of trying to uh, yeah. keep, keep yourself safe in terms of your emotions really and your your mental health but how you do that it's very difficult everyone's different aren't they you know I do know what you mean, but actually, when I was experiment, I think it's more to do with how secure you are in your sexual identity. So if it's still quite fluid and you're experimenting and you're not quite sure what you are, you're much less likely to connect emotionally with someone because you're much more likely to kind of treat someone as a bit of an experiment. And that's a phrase that nobody ever wants to use because everybody's always like, oh, don't treat me like, you know, you're a yeah. starter pack. But people do and you can't help it. Start you can't pack. help it. It's just what you, it's just what you do. <laughs> start pack lgbtqi start pack but like you know i've met people on the internet back in the day and we've had a night of a passion and then the next morning i'll be like oh my god get them out like i remember one time saying to one woman that i was going to work and it was a sunday morning and she just very politely left because she obviously didn't want to confront me about it and i was like oh yeah i need to go into the office sorry darling well you could have been reviewing the sunday <laughs> papers obviously you know I was, oh, we she, should she, definitely she did, do. She did want to get out, but it was like, come on, Nikki, you, you could have thought of a better lie than that. We yeah. should definitely do like a bisexual, how do you get them out in the mornings thing? Because I have some <laughs> great. So there was one I was like, I need to go to Tesco, so I'll walk you to the tube. They decided to walk me around Tesco, so I didn't need anything. It took forever. Oh. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it is, so, how do you get someone out of your house in the morning? But that's perennial. That's not just an LGBTQI thing. No, that's no, that's for everybody, everybody in the world isn't it? That's Everyone. had casual sex. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, but we've had to get men and women out, and I think there's a difference there. <laughs> well, I think you feel more guilty if it's if you're a guy getting a woman out, probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've got to be more caring. Do it with a hug. Especially if it's do the walk of shame in five inch perspex heels, which is what I used to do all the time. So 
so this guy we're <laughs> advising, um, uh, do you think he's any, any the wiser after listening to us three? <laughs> I don't know if he's any the wiser. No, no, no. Okay, so I told you to lie. Probably don't listen to that. I actually think Lewis's advice was the best. Yeah, you're probably I right. I graphically walked you through it step by step. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, messy bed and all. <laughs> Ready to ask a question of your own? Send an email now to info at madeinmanchester.tv and in the subject line say for the attention of bisexual brunch and you might get featured on a future show. Don't be shy, they won't bite. Okay, well that's bisexual brunch for this week. If you've got any comments, thoughts, musings, do get in touch with us at at bisexualbrunch on Twitter. And thank you for listening and we'll see you later. Bye for now. Lewis, what are you up to? Are you going for that bath? I'm going to go for a, my bisexual bath now, get all the bubbles in and just relax and just take a moment because the kids will cause havoc tomorrow again, I'm sure. So this is the only time I'm going to get for me. So yeah, off I go. This programme is an MIM production. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.